At the 20 week mark is still considered a miscarriage. After the 20 week mark is called a stillbirth. We go to the hospital, they then do the ultrasound, get a second opinion, and then the doctor comes in and says, look, unfortunately, it seems your baby has died, right? I had suicidal thoughts, not even thoughts, actions. No one's listened to my emotion, to how I feel. No one understands how I feel, so I'm better off not being here. I wanted nothing to do with my children at that time. I was like, stay away from me. I don't even want to see you. Hi, and welcome back to Candid with Lady T podcast. This is a podcast where I dive into many topics and issues relating to faith, relationships, life, politics, pop culture, and so much more. Now, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. Today's episode is going to be uh, quite a touchy, sensitive subject. So um, at any point that you do feel that you can't listen anymore, um, please do feel free to put this uh, episode on pause and then come back to it another time but right at the end um i'm going to give places and details on where you can who you can contact if you need to talk to anybody regarding today's subject so on this episode we are talking about miscarriages it's something that um a lot of women go through and it's a very difficult process for a woman when they lose a child. Now a miscarriage is described as a spontaneous abortion or is an event that that results in the loss of a fetus before 20 weeks of pregnancy, pregnancy. It typically happens during the first trimester or first three months of the pregnancy. Miscarriages can happen for a variety of medical reasons, many of which aren't within a person's control. Now Typically, we talk to or we hear women talking about their experiences of miscarriages, but we don't typically hear from men and how they feel and their emotions and what they went through and how they coped with it. And in the same breath, trying to help other you know, fathers in the same position. Now, my guest today is Donald Butcher, who is a trustee for Beyond Equality. He's an activist within the Black community for men and women. Trust me, he has a lot to say. And most importantly, the, one of the best titles he has is he's a, a proud father of five. Welcome, Donald. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You forgot the part where I told you to say I'm tall, dark and handsome. <laughs> you like this. <laughs> explicitly said no I'm only joking no I'm good I'm good Look, thank you for having me Lady T I'm, I'm sorry I start off on a on a joke uh, by the uh, way like, you know Lady T is making money because look at the background look at the sofa listen Asha, let me let you me. know I'm trying to, for those of for those of you who are watching on YouTube you'll, you'll see what I'm, you'll, you'll see what um he's talking about if you just log on to YouTube um Lady T official and check it out but if you're just listening hey it's a beautiful background it's a, it's a great one for sure for sure <laughs> anyway I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on this episode and um, this is one one topic that I've always wanted to talk about and I know that we talk to women about this and uh, women always give their perspective and their their experiences but I know deep down for me I've always wanted to speak to men about their experiences because they're both in this you know not it affects the women quite highly 
But then we've also got to look at the other person who's involved as well, especially when that, you know, when the husband or the partner is very present, is very involved. And, you know, how are they going through it? What are they feeling? What's their experiences like? What are the whole thing that make them go through? Like, you know, were there any tendencies to want to end things? Because there's so many things that can happen, you know, for a man and a woman, but for a man, like, what is their experience of miscarriage or, you know, having not been able to see their child, you know, live a long fulfilled life, but only get to see them within, you know, a few seconds and then having to say goodbye again, because I can't imagine that feeling a woman goes through or even a man goes through when at the thought of losing a child so I'm really happy that I get to speak to you about this because I know you've got a lot to say about it and I know there's not going to be any no holds bad <laughs> you're literally gonna go all in um, and whatnot so so let's talk about your um your experience and how this happened for you so you um you know as I introduced you, you said that you're a proud father of five um but um, I know that within that, you class one of your children that didn't make it as a child still. You're still the proud father of five. So let's talk about um, from the time when you knew that you were, that you were pregnant, because this is essentially baby number four, right? Yeah. So, um, again, I, I, it's, it's, it's one of those topics that at the beginning was very difficult to talk about, mm. but as time has gone on, it's become easier. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's a stark reminder of how fragile life is every day. I, I, I remember when we found out we were pregnant with baby number four, um, we were ecstatic like any parent. We're, we're Christians, we're Catholics. And the minute you, you get involved with sex and you get intimate, you have to be open to to life, and I think I'll I'll come back to that hopefully and touch upon how society views sex and yeah. and, and one thing I will say on it now is if you look at every advert, it talks about how to protect yourself whilst having sex, but doesn't talk about the value of it. Right, I'll let that sit and marinate with people who are listening um, for a Real. minute. When we come back to it, we'll hopefully talk around that. So. We obviously having been in a loving marriage and and you know we have an adult time, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, yeah. We're having, we're having sex, simple, um, <laughs> and we are open to life. And baby number four is conceived, um, ecstatic like any parent, planned or unplanned. It's a gift from God, as far mm-hmm. as we're concerned. So. You know, you hear often of couples who have sex multiple times and they're not able to conceive. And, mm. and, and unfortunately, for one reason or another, medical or otherwise. So we're ecstatic that we're having another baby. We love the joy of having a child. And yeah, we, we set on the journey of, right, we've been through this three times already. So we know what we're doing pretty much. It's time to pull out, you know, the old pram to pull out the, the 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 kind of caricot caricots to pull out clothes and start sorting through who's gonna wear what the hand me downs are there what we've saved and the Moses basket I told her to get rid of twenty times and she was like why don't we have another baby now we're having that other baby so it's kind of like ah wait she knew what she was doing <laughs> clearly yeah to keep all that stuff like of course yeah, yeah. So for me, 
I'm the kind of guy I'm like, like, dash it. We we got no space. Get rid of it. We'll have another baby. That's, that's typical guy. That's typical guy attitude. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, we're not gonna need it again. It's okay. No, no, no. Forget it. Forget it. Yeah. Wonder like, holding, man. I'm not on that. Like, <laughs> we got, got like space. I'm all about space. Um. Anyway, so we 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 then set on this on this path of having another child. Um. We're now thinking in the future about what we do next, buying a new house and, and all the rest of it. So what then happens, uh, my wife had a hernia uh, um, that was hurting her. And she'd had a hernia with all our children, really. So we didn't think much of it. Operation just before we found out that she was pregnant. And now she's pregnant, she can't have the hernia operation. So um I remember that day we, we you know, we go about, you know, you start looking at the apps as your child is now the, the size of a bag of sugar and weighs the size of a bag of sugar in your stomach or your child is now shaped like a bean or has this and this is growing today or that's growing today. So you're excited and doing stuff that parents do or, or, or you know, parents to a newborn or potential newborn. That day, that Friday, I went to work and I worked at King's Cross. And before I left, my mother-in-law used to come and help us quite a bit with, with, with the other kids when I was at work. And my wife was also working part-time. Um, and on that day, she'd had a conversation with her mum the night before, I think. This was, I didn't know any of this till after. Um, about her mum going back home because her mum had been there for a few days and all the rest of it and she wasn't feeling great but her mum was like okay cool I'll go back home if you think you can manage so she went and then that morning I went to work she was saying oh her hernia is really hurting her and I said okay well do you want me to stay and she was like no no it'll get better if it gets worse throughout the day I'll call you and you can come home so I've gone her mother-in-law has left the night before I've I've gone to work. She's at home with the other, um, the other three kids. And um, her hernia just gets progressively worse throughout the day. And around two o'clock or so, she had a midwife appointment later on that afternoon around five-ish, half four, five. So I said, look, your hernia's hurt and I'm going to leave work. So I just got up and left work because I just knew that I had to be home. So mm. got home just in time for her going, her hernia has subsided, the pain has subsided a little bit and just in time for her to go to her midwife appointment. So we, and I just, you know, as we do and as I like doing is throw the whole tribe in the car and we go and she's like, no, they're going to make noise. The kids are going to get to the midwife and start picking this up and throwing this and distracting and all the rest of it. But me, I like trouble like this. I just put all the car, the kids in the car and I say, let's go, whatever. So we get there and they do all their checks and she can't find a heartbeat. And we're kind of like, huh? She's like, yeah, sometimes it's normal. Um, baby just tries to hide or, or whatever else. Or, and, and the midwife says, well, I can't find, I, I, I'll get another midwife. She tries two or three times and says, I still can't find it. But this is quite normal. Sometimes you see it, sometimes sometimes you hear it, sometimes you don't. And if anyone's ever heard the heartbeat of a child, of, of a child in the stomach, it's like a galloping horse. Mm. Right? It's like... Yeah. So she can't hear it. 
At this point, my wife and I are quite panicked. She gets another midwife to come in and give it a go. And the midwife says to us, look, sometimes we find it, sometimes we don't. If you want, you can go home and then at your next midwife appointment, which is in more than a few weeks' time, we'll see if we can find it then. Sometimes babies just try and hide. Mm-hmm. Or if you're really that concerned, we can send you to a hospital mm-hmm. for you to for the doctors to do an ultrasound and, and find out, aren't we? We're like, yeah, obviously. In my mind, I'm already thinking the worst. And at this point, we're panicked. We just don't know. We're thinking the worst. You think the worst straight away. You know, um, most people just go, right, okay, I've got to prepare myself for the worst, really. And But there's a part of you that just thinks, well, it's not the worst. Mm. You know, it, it, I'm not that. I'm, we're not that couple and this stuff doesn't happen to us, right? Um, and everyone thinks that, uh, uh, too, to a certain extent, we have, we have various things. And we go to the hospital, they then do the ultrasound, get a second opinion, and then the doctor comes in and says, look, unfortunately, it seems your baby has died. Whoa. How many weeks was this? 20 weeks. Wow. So, um, and, and, and I actually wanted to make, I made a note to kind of uh, mention about what you were saying earlier on is, you're right in that in prior to, at the 20-week mark is still considered a miscarriage. After the 20-week mark is called a stillbirth. Right. So there, okay. there's, there's two different differentiators there. Um, one gets recognised by, by, the, by the hospital when you can have a birth certificate and all the rest of it. Yeah. The other, you don't. Right. The, 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 when you have a miscarriage, you don't have a birth certificate. You don't have any other things that you you would it doesn't get recognized at least in the nhs as a child why is that i mean if you know that is i mean that's if you know if there's a reason for that because that's that's interesting i've never knew that no i i don't know i don't know why um and and it it can be quite hard for parents to take Mm -hmm. what then transpired with us for example was my wife still had to go and deliver this baby two or three days later and um, you're given the option to take a take a tablet that will induce labor and then you come back a couple of days later and, and kind of you go through the labor pains and kind of deliver this baby that you know full well has died and the hospital were at were fairly good um and kind of put the baby in this kind of cold cot um essentially which is a walking mortuary essentially dress the baby and all the rest of it and um yeah it, it, it that that period was very tough um because like I said you don't have apart from a memory box with like the baby's maybe little hat little mm. socks things like that you don't have a birth certificate or death certificate but if you if if our daughter was just one week had died a week later uh, later then she would have got a death certificate and a birth certificate mm. it makes it tougher to take um at that stage because you're kind of but you're not even thinking about all of that at that stage you, you're kind of thinking right how do we get through the next how many ever you know period of time you need to grieve 
Mm. Uh, they then asked us the option to do an autopsy on our baby to figure out what went wrong. Um, we spent some time with her, a few hours with her. We were told at the time it was a boy and we named him Angelo, um, as in an angel. But then after the autopsy, some months later, and we find out it was a girl. <laughs> so it kind of, it was a mess up completely. So how did it get that wrong? Like, I don't understand. Is it what, at what week do you find out the sex of the baby? Like, I think it's at three months. You can right. find out the sex of the baby. But I think what happened is that they hadn't done the proper medical examination at that stage and just said, look, it was a boy. Because look, they just went with what they could see. So us not being on the wiser, we're like, cool. I mean, when the baby comes out, I haven't still till now, this was back in 2018, I still haven't found it in me to share the picture of our baby um, with anyone. And our baby was formed, fully formed. She looked like her sister. Wow like fully formed it was at that stage a baby's fully formed and it's just a case of the baby putting on weight and growing mm-hmm. um yeah it was she you could clearly you could see her face you could see her fingernails you could see um her hands you could see her eyelashes her mouth her nose everything yeah it, it, it that was almost like another added dimension to the grieving and starting the grieving process again when we were told it was a girl because my daughter is is the only girl and we've got four bo- uh, three boys and she's always wanted a sister and my wife always wanted another girl so that kind of just added more and more to it um and to, for me it drove me to kind of go a bit nuts and realize that I wanted to take I wanted to be close to my daughter I wanted to take my own life, right? I had suicidal thoughts, not even thoughts, actions where I waited um, till when the family were out, wrote them a note, got a bottle of bleach, bottle of whiskey, blade, all the rest of it, ran a bath, sat in a bath and what was, and I just cried my eyes out. Um, and yeah, it it, is, it reduced me and all the whilst the conversation was not being had or support wasn't being provided or space wasn't being made for me to have that conversation of how do I feel. It was almost people will take a step away from you because they don't want to have that difficult conversation and ask you how you are. And people will use the... the, the we use the fact that they don't know what to say or what to do to stay away from you. And it's almost that taboo and that elephant in the room. Every time you meet someone, they almost never want to ask, how are you? So they go on to something completely else. Or if they ask, how are you? It's a very insincere or insincere. How are you? Yeah. It's just, Oh, Hey, what's good. Not really like taking the time out to care. Like, how are you really really how are you Mm, mm. was there more focus on seeing how um your wife was like how she was and not necessarily any attention 
on you or to ask how you were doing yeah that definitely was I think even when we were in the hospital it was all about her it was all about rightfully so by the way you know rightfully so it was all about how can we help you process this and when even after that when the midwife came home it was all her she wanted to talk to her about how she's feeling never at one point did they say we want to talk to you and how you're feeling you look at the you look at the, the kind of help book that they gave that they give you in this amazing charity called sands we were given a handbook of sands and i remember at the time i've now since then got in touch and, and worked with sands on a number of various projects but at the time i got given this book this packet that just says babe parents who were grieving and all the rest of it and not once did I see a picture of a black man and let alone a man yeah. in the book right mm-hmm. so I'm like eh, this is not for me maybe I'll give him a call maybe I don't whatever and then just was just left to my own devices really I was fortunate enough to fall on a group of men who wanted to listen to me mm. wanted to support me some of them had been through a very similar experience and essentially they saved my life because god knows what i would have done which which kind of like leads me to the question you know at that point when you were in your bathroom you were you know you had everything set up you've done the note what what stopped you bottle i just didn't have the courage Um, And I think it sounds such a weird thing to say, I think. I did not once think about my family. I didn't think about the people I was leaving behind, but I just didn't have the courage to go through with it. And it just made me sad and weakened that I don't even have the courage to take, to do that, you know? And it's... (laughs) now when I look back on it it's more a case of a plea and a shout for help more than it is about you and more than it is about the action you're about to do it's more of a case of no one is listening to me no one wants to talk to me no one's talking to me about it no one's listening to my emotion to how I feel no one understands how I feel so I'm better off not being here and I think that's, and I think it's it's valid because stuff like that is, it is a cry for help. It is a cry for wanting to talk or take notice of me. Like I'm hurting too. There are other people's hurting, but I want you to take note of my hurt. Talk to mm-hmm. me about what I need to talk, you know, what's going on with me. So at the moment that you've kind of not gone through with it, that same day what happened did you tell your wife what had happened or what what to do no I didn't tell my wife I didn't actually some of the details my wife still found out even this year and this was like three years ago um I never told my wife the first time my wife found out was maybe about a year on year and a half on I never had the courage to to tell her because it was a it was it's such a dark time and and I wasn't hiding it from her but at the same time how could you tell her that this is what I was about to do yeah that would break that would break her 
that would break her because and, and and it did break her when I told her I wanted to check like what had happened and where I was and and now I'm in a better place with counseling and all the rest of it it was kind of I could see the pain in her eyes, the worry in her eyes for my mental well-being and the fact that my wife was going through something as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you and I know my wife and she's, she's, she's one of the strongest people I know. She is, yeah. She gets up and just gets on with it. Like, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, my wife literally, the day after she gave birth to our dead daughter, was up the next morning and being like, right, Let's go, kids. We're going to this play group today. And I was like. But do you think that was a coping mechanism for her to be able to deal with what she, to deal with her her grief? Maybe. But also, I know my wife is the kind of, she doesn't dwell on things. It's not necessarily a coping mechanism. Is she, we've got three other children. They're not going to sit there and wallow in our own self-pity. They are just kind of, Look, we still need to be fed. We still need to be stimulated, like, in our minds. We still need uh, uh, playgroups. We still need to go to sleep. We still need our nappies changed and all the rest of it. Whereas I, I didn't, I wanted nothing to do with my children at that time. I was like, stay away from me. I don't even want to see you. I want to be in a dark room left alone. How long was that going for? three weeks and and like I said it's a huge cry for help but mm-hmm. not being able to vocalize it and not knowing where you can turn to vocalize it mm-hmm. and it's something that society tells us that talk about everything else but the minute you start talking about how you feel well you you're going to too far yeah. you know and, and, and I said this the other day to someone, I said, um, the system that's been set up, the patriarchal system that's been set up is for those that talk less about the emotion who are authentically man and more for those who are males. And I always make the distinction between male versus man. And a male, for those who haven't maybe heard this, is someone who serves, lives in servitude of himself. And a man is someone who lives in servitude of others. The idea is you're born male and you grow into manhood. Mm, wow. It's a, it's a process. It's not a today you're, you're, you're male, tomorrow you're a man. No. Mm. Now, what society does is society works to serve the male and ignore the man. Mm. The system of patriarchy that has been set up has been set up to serve the male. I want, I want, I want. Now, the minute we talk about the we want in society, especially as men, it's not a conversation that other, others want to want to have because the we want takes away from the I want. Yeah. So I don't want to delve too much into that whole kind of masculine. Yeah, because that that's another that's a whole nother topic for another time, which I think we will. This I think we, me and you will definitely dive into um, at some point. But so in terms of your grieving process, like how were your kids in this? Okay, because let's talk about the kids for a second before we come back to you. How were your kids during this time, and how did you tell them that that the sister that 
they were looking forward to is not going to be around anymore like how do you deliver bad news to a child and how do you then help them with that grief process right you you have to remember remember i said we always go everywhere with our tribe now it has its bonuses and it has its bad points one of the bonuses in this instant is they knew just as we were finding out because they were with us so it was almost breaching the conversation around death right live essentially having that conversation with them around the concept of someone dying Mm. and and her not being present and they took it very well I think my Mm. daughter cried she was sad my son was sad um the youngest one was just like I don't know what you're talking about I just want to play (laughs) but the other two, they got it and they explained it to the younger one when he was of age to be able to understand to the point where every year around our daughter's birthday, they want to celebrate it as her birthday. They will get, my daughter would get the cake ready. She would decorate the house. She'd be like, what are we doing for Angela's birthday? What, like, how are we celebrating it? So she's not forgotten in our in our home. Um, and our children understood that comes I mean my daughter was four at the time um, and my son was three the youngest one was in Google Gaga State so he, he was still like one or something like that um, and yeah they, they understood it perfectly and to this day we've made a conscious effort to make sure Angela is our part of our daily life and our family and recognize some of the things that we do um and and you know and someone put it this way for us you've got a child in heaven a face you you can recognize when you get out there hmm. um and with me and and, and 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 the children is a conversation that we constantly have in around what is she doing you know yeah. my daughter often says she wants to die so that she can go and hang out with her sister Oof. but it's kind of like well okay like I know what you're trying to say, but <laughs> but not quite yet. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Um, so yeah, I think the kids have been great. The kids have been. It's forced us to introduce the concept of of death straight away, but it's also forced us to make sure you know we're very different in how we parent our our children in the sense that we're trying to bring up adults essentially yeah. contributing adults to society and we just we're just guardians and custodians for them for the time being till and shaping and, and letting them know what is possible right rather than what's not possible mm-hmm. so um they can always ask questions and they have the freedom to do that um and they'll always get as honest answers from us as possible yeah um, so I think that I think they probably got it better than some I know some adults I know got it. Yeah, yeah, definitely they have they really have kids are an amazing the way they deal mm. with things at such a young age is is just phenomenal like and it almost gives you that kind of comfort like wow okay they've taken it this way I guess because of their the nature of their age at that time. Um, and it almost kind of gives you like, okay, they can deal with it. So I need to try and do the same thing. So I need to be strong. As strong yeah. as they are, I need to be strong for them as well. So yeah. see they can go. So now that you kids know, where did your help then come? Like, when did you decide 
to start seeking help because obviously you said that nobody really paid attention to you nobody really asked how you were which I guess would make the grieving process a lot longer and a lot harder and obviously you contemplated you know suicide because that was that was where you were feeling so after you you didn't and you know um weeks went on when did you decide to seek help I think a friend of mine was involved with a group of men um and got in touch just out of the blue and said look hey I have had kind of heard memories of what you you're going through I think this group is really important mm-hmm. and it went from there really it was almost by God's grace and 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 you know some people will know it as whatever they want to know but I know it as God um that he intervened and kind of directed me to this group of men who mm-hmm. I was able to form a friendship, a bond with, who had been through a very similar thing and made me realise that actually I'm not alone. There are a lot of other men that go through the same thing. And we often hear the stat that one in three, um, one in three women go through, you know, stillbirth or miscarriage, mm-hmm. right? Um, that also means that one in three men are going through it right there's such a a huge group of men that go through it and never want to talk about it never want to discuss it never want to make it seem like they're going through something and never want to see what society knows as weak right so when I got you know got into this group of men and there were men there who were open about what they've been through open about their experiences where they were emotionally Mm. uh, how they got out of it and encourage counselling. So I took on counselling um, once a week. Um, and yeah, went from there, from strength to strength. Over a period of time, I kind of realised, you know, what, what, where I was, who I was, why I was feeling this way, where it stems from, um, aside from from my daughter where my low self-esteem and, and, and wanting, not thinking people want to talk to me about how I'm feeling to just being like, you know, the, 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 at times there can be an over-reliance on people to talk to and mm. listen, listen to you. Mm. But we forget as humans, we can also, the process starts by self-healing. Yep. Self-acceptance, self-healing and then growing on from that process. So yeah, that's when I, I think I started making inroads and strides to getting better mental health, better physical health. And yeah, and, and just and, and talking about it on a more regular basis. And, and I made a promise to my daughter at that stage that I'm not going to let her, this experience and her death to be in vain. I'm gonna make sure that I can impact as many lives as many people as I can and talk to as many dads as I can to talk to as many um, young men mm-hmm. as I can who will potentially experience it and young women as well who potentially experience this at some stage until we can get to the bottom why, you know, especially in the black community, one in three fathers and mothers are having to suffer the loss of a child. Mm. Which is quite it's 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 quite scary 
um so that is <laughs> that is a number you know and there's something that you said about a danger like what are the day obviously you've been through one of them but what are the dangers of men not talking about of miscarriage or even um child stillbirth as well because that's that's still all that's that's an ordeal that they still have to go through you know you see your baby like you did form so much and you know this living breathing you know beautiful human being and there's just no life in them so what are the dangers of men not speaking about their experiences and what does society need to do or you know women as well have to do in order to also make sure that men speak about this to go through that process hmm. how much time have you got to go because <laughs> so if I, if I break that question down and kind of think the dangers of men not speaking and is it brings us to where we are now as a society it brings us to the high suicide rates in, in in men that we have. It brings us to men that behave in a way that is not is not with love, empathy, or care or clarity in any way. We have men that are very unbalanced. We let's not get this uh, you know twisted in any way. We live in a patriarchy. Yeah, and and no one can tell us otherwise. So we need balanced men. We need men that are good leaders and when I say a good leader I mean someone that is balanced in their thinking not someone that is a um that is leaning one way or the other but mm -hmm. someone that's very straight down the middle and can think clearly for both parties for for looking and remember my definition of manhood is someone that is lives in service of others you want, we are not going to get men who live in service of, in, of others if they have a lot of this emotional battles that are going on and don't know how to deal with it themselves mm -hmm. because what's going to end up happening is the repercussions of those emotional battles will be taken out on those respondents that, that they're supposed to be leading in an unfair way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the... the, the the whole idea that what men need and, and, and the outcomes of them not getting it is one that needs to be first and foremost understood and broken down by men themselves is mm -hmm. what we, we are so we're individuals and we will need different things but at the core of it we need us as men to listen to men to stop using and you know, I alluded to earlier on, we men want to celebrate toxic masculinity. And the reason, and, and it's become such a buzzword, the reason why we want to celebrate that is because it's what benefits us. We're not interested, men are not, of this day and age, are not interested in breaking that down, mm -hmm. in taking that away, because it benefits us. It's, in essence, it's like racism, right? is the people who benefit from it are not interested in breaking down the structures because mm -hmm. if they break down the structures, they will stop benefiting from it, right? Men benefit from, you know, being on the boards of a lot of companies, for example, mm -hmm. if you institutional racism. Mm -hmm. why, in, why in God's green earth are they going to want to break that down if they essentially are going to benefit from it in the long run? It's so, seven, oh, isn't it? It's seven exactly. their needs. It's seven their needs. 
Exactly. So first and foremost, you know, when we say what are the what are the outcomes of men not talking is these are the outcomes of men not talking. We will carry on living in a wrong patriarchal society where those men that try to do the right things will be looked on as dinosaurs and will become very extinct. And secondly, we're going to get young males who are going to grow up without understanding that they there is a process to manhood there is an understanding and a caring to manhood you you just have to look at you know again i'm talking very generally here you just have to look at a, a single mother for example who when her child gets to 14 tells her child you are now the man of the house right but you haven't given him the tools to be the man of the house mm -hmm. one minute you're telling him he's the man of the house and the next minute you're sending him to bed at 10 o'clock right that's hella confusing for a 14 year old which part of that is teaching him this is what manhood looks like where is the positive role model that he has in his life to teach him how to be a man right and 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 to be a man when i say be a man i'm not talking about the archetypal man that society portrays of a strong fit being able to be decisive and go out to work and feed his family no i'm talking about a man who is emotionally available mm -hmm. it's very clear in his thought processes and it's very empathetic right it's those are the three things in my eyes that makes a man and in most people's eyes they all fall under that heather of someone who's very clear in his decision process in the decisions that he's making very balanced very empathetic and also very 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 emotionally available to others and to himself so it's when you actually think of men who don't fall in that bracket right of all of those three things they become men who have certain type of issues whether it's mummy issues or daddy issues or women issues right most men are doing things to attract women right well <laughs> they, they, they get they get a good job or they want to they a salary that is over six figures yeah. right yeah so that they can attract women why do most men want to be successful you can take a survey of a hundred men and ask them why they want to be successful they will give you all sorts of reasoning but at the root of it is because they want to they they want to attract a certain type of woman because we are creatures we can't be alone we're not meant to be alone god didn't create us to be alone either exactly it's to be with uh, to have somebody <laughs> to have a common unity mm -hmm. right a community mm -hmm. so it's kind of it's when when you know to go back to your original question when you asked well what can women do i think women play a huge part in this in actually identifying a man and a male right and we have this thing in society that a a, a woman wants to attract a man that is or a male that has a good job is stable financially hold on knock 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 have you checked on his emotional bank balance the characteristics right. of a man have you checked his emotional bank balance yeah. have you checked his empathetic bank balance 
is his house built on empathy or is it built on do do as i say not as i do but that, that that's that's what we need to and and i think even as a black community we need to get away from this chip that we have on our shoulder right whether whether you're jamaican nigerian Ghanaian, ivory from ivory coast or whatever you're from we have to we have this chip on our shoulder that we have to have the man we have has to have a certain standard of you have to have a balanced job you have to have a house or you have to have all of these accumulated all of these things before we even entertain a conversation and you see it when they do something called a knock-in or the engagement and all of those traditional aspects right is what comes out is like who can throw the most money at whoever's dancing Mm -hmm. but hold on have you guys checked how he is emotionally okay is he's a doctor but really, his emotional bank balance looks like a, you know, not that there's anything wrong with these jobs, but like a street sweeper. Mm. Well, I mean, a street sweeper can still have, like, can still be have... Uh, Correct, that, which, is, which is why I said no, 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 no discredit to those jobs, you know. But it, it, it's very important that we have to, and I think this is the part that women play, is calling those out, is calling out okay you're not yet a man and I want a man and being clear in the definition of what you want as a man rather than an archetypal man of big strong being able to provide for me because most men do that naturally most men want to provide but you want a man who is emotionally balanced Mm -hmm. has dealt with his ish so that you don't have to because there's no point in bringing two traumas to the table. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a, just a, a huge... It's a waiting to happen. Like, it's, it's, it's literally, there's going to be so much explosiveness going on all the time. And, you know, one's going to think that you're taking one for granted. You're not understanding. Like, that the miscommunication within that relationship is just... It's, 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 it's going to be... Um, it's going to have a knock-on effect. Yeah. On, on things going forward so yeah but but we also have to accept and I think there's also there's a part to this where I think a lot of women also need to accept the fact that that there is a responsibility for some of those mothers of old that treated their heart their children and encouraged their children to be these men mm. right because that was a very old-fashioned way of behaving right yeah. because yeah. They were just like, eh, I don't, you know, don't, don't just, just be spoiled, be a spoiled brat, be on emo- emotionally unavailable because, you know, and if, if I think to, to, to the black community and I think of my experience, for example, my mom never told me that she loved me when I was younger. She showed me in a lot of way, but she never cuddled me or held me and said, look, come here, give me a hug. She never told me how to be a man. She never showed me because once you can't, she never you know, made sure that the role models were around to, to, to kind of support me. And, and as that is, like I said, it's when it comes to being a mum in this day and age, we have to be so conscious of that, so aware of that as a community. And, you know, one of the things I often speak about um, is the value of sex, right? The power that it wields. Yes, which 
I know is 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 a huge deal in in everything when it comes to obviously you know the 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 synergy between a man and a woman, what it creates as well, and how you have to be ready for that creation as well. So I know we could talk about that, but just to quickly bring it back, do you think it's important? I know because I trust me, we can we can go there, we can go there again. That's another topic. Um, but do you think it's important for um, you know, any parent now going forward to be able to talk about grief with young children so that when it's when they later on in life experience something that you've experienced, they know how to handle it. They know, you know, they 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 know what to do basically and not have to like, you know, suffer in silence for it. 100 percent I think as as early as you can and I say and I say it's generally around six years old um try and introduce those concepts to your children and obviously make it kidified so that they understand it and just get better at as they get older they will understand it better and keep the door open to having those conversations look put it this way if your child doesn't learn anything doesn't learn it from you guess what they're going to learn it from somewhere else and if they learn it if they learn the wrong thing from somewhere else right and and again i'll take it back to sex because this is the most tangible thing right is if your child learns especially a young man learns about how what just starts watching pornography and pictures are floating around when he goes to school and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. and you haven't had that conversation with him about sex guess what that's where he's getting his information from and that's what he understands and that's what he builds as his knowledge base of what sex is and what his relationship to women women are more objectified because he's seen a picture of a naked woman on on the page three in the sun with some big boobies right so to him that's the whole idea of sex it's just an object it's mm-hmm. it's the woman is an object that's to be used whereas if the parent has a conversation around that around the positive reinforcement of that around you know again with grief if your child sees grief and all they see is you know a bomb going off and people just wailing and crying and all those that's what they understand grief as right so when they try to experience grief there will be like well what's this emotion I don't know this this went with this wailing and crying and all the rest of it so it's very important I think to start your children as young as six okay I think you know for 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 me our kids we were lucky that our daughter got it and they were there in the room Um, but generally it's around the six-year-old mark to kind of understand the concepts of grief understand and everyone has different grieving processes right there are people that grieve for a long time there are people that need something to help them move forward they need something to replace whatever they loot they've lost um to help them move forward something tangible there's some people that don't need anything there's so different processes to grieve um that you know, I think it, it it's important. I think it's important to make sure that our children and us as adults, more more importantly, understand these processes for ourselves. But also, we can introduce those concepts to our children as early as possible. Yeah, definitely. Whew, that's um that's a that's a that's great advice to be honest with you. I think because um, I've always 
battled with the idea of what age to introduce children to certain conversation. I mean, if you say six is a good age for grief and then also with the whole sex thing as well, that's, that's always something I'm like, as young as six, isn't that a bit too early? But I guess, like you said, if they're not learning it from you at home, they're going to be learning it out from somewhere else, given the wrong information. So if they're cognizant of that at that age, then I guess you make it in a way that's suitable for them so that they understand, you know, the topics and the conversation that continually goes on. So, um, I mean, look, look at it this way. You you look at the flip side of it is society is not going to slow down and wait for your child to learn about sex. You just have to look at the advert. And and I think of the herbal essence advert that used to be aired, you know, pre-watershed. And it was a lady going, ah, ah, ah. You know, the whole idea behind that. You look at billboards, everything is sexual. Yeah, everything is sexualized. Everything from toothpaste, whatever, to chewing gum. what do you do you know you can either turn a blind eye to society and kind of you know hope that your child doesn't you know pick it up and and kind of moves on with it and looks at it from the innocence of a child but the reality is you know my daughter she will ask me questions she'll be like but hold on daddy why why are they chewing the chewing gum that way why are they why is she screaming, yes, yes, yes? It can't be so. Does that mean if I buy that shower gel, I can scream, yes, yes, yes? And she puts it on and she's kind of like, it doesn't make me do that. So why would she, you know, they'll start, kids are inquisitive. Very. Right. Kids want to know why. So it's, it, it's, you either introduce them to that in a positive, positive way and reinforce the positivity or, Society and the world introduces the negative and reinforces the negative, which makes it harder for you to go back and undo. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned um, earlier on about the charity that you kind of like worked, uh, that you got in contact with, that you were like, nah, you you didn't want to speak to them about your grief and what you were going through. Um, So how is that now? Has that changed? And what is it that you're doing with them? And what's the name of the charity again? Is it Sands, I believe? It's Sands, yes. Sands is a baby loss charity. Okay, cool. So what made you then change your mind to start to, to work with them and to, I guess, to to collaborate with them? I think it was one of those things that you could either shy away from changing a problem mm-hmm. or you can go ahead and face it head on. And I think knowing how I felt, I didn't want any other man to go through this and mm-hmm. feel the way I felt. And I don't want any, not just man, I think child, mother, auntie, grandma, whoever, I don't want them to go through what I went through. Mm. Um, so my goal really was to understand how they work, help them appeal more to our community because a lot of the, the literature was very whitewashed. Um, and support them in actually sending out the right message to, 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 to a number of different dads and actually look at the flip side of that. How do we support men? How do we make sure that the services that are provided? Because look, I'll give anyone who's listening this challenge, go onto the internet and type in maternity. There's a plethora 
of from maternity clothes to maternity wear to to maternity leave to um maternity pay to all sorts but then go in and type in paternity what you will find is one thing paternity leave hmm. wow right and it's still the same till today go mm -hmm. in and type in that is what you will find right so anyone that's listening try it and and you will see for yourself so for me is how can we support fathers who have lost children and maybe haven't dealt with it in the best way possible or don't know how to deal with it in the best way possible and there are a lot of fathers like I said when we talk about in the black community alone one in three it's a conversation to be had you know so mm. but my job with SANS is really to try and raise awareness consistently changing and reshaping how we talk about baby loss from a father's point of view um, and also supporting them to reach out to the black fathers because I think it's also a black father thing there's so much pride the black man is is is, is the white man of the black world right and, and and the black man has got this humongous chip on his shoulder a black man is the worst enemy of another black man Oof, wow and is if I walk down the road and I tell a black man, bruv, your crepes are hard, the look I will get, especially if I don't know him, would be like, what are you talking to me like that for? What, what are you trying to say about my crepes from? I'm like, I'm just appreciating your trainers. That's all I'm saying. But we have this a humongous chip on our shoulders where we don't like to talk. We don't like to seem weak in the face of other black men for one reason or another and that is pride and ego mm -hmm. so my whole thing is how can we break that down and actually reach out in the depths of the souls of black men and support them really in what they're going through because at, at, at the top of all of that it's an inadequacy that they haven't been able to deal with mm -hmm. or can't deal with or don't know how to deal with it's true i guess men really need to start talking and they can this this charity is a way so is is are they going to look more in terms of the kind of things that they produce like the material that it's more inclusive so that you know black men see themselves on the picture on the front of things because sometimes um when you see something that's completely white they're not gonna want to like like even take part in it so do you think it's something that they need to do in terms of whatever material that they produce it looks like everybody it looks like the world looks like there's black there's white there's asian there's there's mixed everything do they need to do that and is that something that they're considering to do yeah it's something that they've already started i mean I, I've, I've been working with sans for about two years now and it's something that they've been doing um and and they're gonna keep doing it's it's trying to repurpose what what what's there already you know with a lot of these charities and, and especially post George Floyd everyone has decided to pick up a mantle to kind of say we are inclusive and diversity and inclusion and the buzzwords that you want to hear but what actually that materializes into is trying to turn a tanker with a lot of this charities there's a lot of powers that be trying to break down the structures that were in place before and trying to make them understand that it can't run yeah it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult than it is you know than them just saying and putting out this whole statement but 
in fairness to Sands, um, in the past 18 months or two years we've worked with them, there's been a lot of change. They've advised on a lot of things. Um, we've advised on a lot of things and we've worked on a lot of things with them to change the way they reach out to the community, mm. to change the way they can be more inclusive in their, not just their literature, but in their care mm-hmm. for, for mothers and fathers moving forward, you yeah. know. And, and it's not just a PR exercise and really speaking to what they represent and one of their pillars are, which is being inclusive. Um, so it's something that we will carry on doing this fight will never end we will keep going um, on multiple fronts and right now we're just the pawns on the table and when we we you know when at the end of this chess game there's another chess game that yeah you know hopefully our kids will pick up and by then we'll be we'll be kings and queens on that chessboard absolutely absolutely so you actually wrote a poem for them for father's day with your experience that you went through are you able to to give us that well i i did and 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 i and i wrote this poem to kind of recognize the fathers who don't have children Mm -hmm. um who who have had a loss um but not had any children um since then or and also the fathers who have lost children but are not recognized as fathers Mm. Um, so it's, it's a huge thing that we don't do and it was really to raise awareness for those dads and anyone who knows a father who may have experienced a loss um, to kind of reach out to them because Father's Day is one of the most difficult days in the year um, for a lot of those those fathers so it's called um, I'm Still a Father and it goes something like this whether in heaven or somewhere else I'm still a father. Whether I saw you for five seconds or never at all, I'm still a father. Whether the pain was visible or not at all, I'm still a father. Whether I cried or laughed, I'm still a father. Sometimes I wondered, can I be close to you? I'm still a father. I have a son, I have a daughter, I have twins, I have both. Whether here or elsewhere, I'm still a father. That was it. Wow. Very profound, very profound. And, I th- and it's such a huge encouragement. It doesn't matter where, whether your child is here or not, you'll always be a father whether you get to hold them or not, you'll always be a father. So thank you so much for that poem. Um, I really appreciate that. That was, that was powerful, super powerful. Um, and before we wrap up, um, so you said, I said at the beginning that you were a proud father of five. So you actually have another one, don't you? Yeah, so. Maybe number five. Well, Baby number baby number five is Malachi. Um, he was born uh, the fourth of March, um, two thousand and twenty, in in the couple of weeks before lockdown. Um, and he's what you call a rainbow baby, um, which is the baby that is that comes after the loss of another baby. Wow. Uh, 
So yeah, he's now a year and a few months old. Um and yeah, he's causing havoc. Um it's it's uh it's I think there's a whole set of emotions that goes with having him. Um you, you go through in your mind, will he be like what your daughter would have been? Would it be like what your baby that you lost would have been? Is it you know, there's a whole complex heap of emotion and and, and and during the whole pregnancy you're kind of on a nice edge thinking could the same thing happen your mind goes at 101 miles an hour and yeah so but we're, we're thankful and grateful that he's here um and you know we're loving every minute and and he also will get to know his his sister um and i think one of the most dynamic relationships i think we've all had the kids and my wife and i is with our dead daughter um because it changes every year the emotion that you go through when you think about her it changes every single time um so it, it, it is a relationship that you can have and when you think about it from that viewpoint it's it's beautiful really it's is is very beautiful to to have someone that you will recognize when you get to heaven but also someone that can shape and change you as you you know walk alongside you in you in your heart in your mind as you as you get older and you progress through life yeah were you ever nervous about malachi you know when you found out you were pregnant with him were you both nervous like i pray that this doesn't happen again and yeah 100 percent. i think it, it was i almost did I, we didn't celebrate when he was he, he was um when we found out we were pregnant it was a kind of elephant in the room where you're kind of you're happy but at the same time, you know, I as a as a father, I was I was always on a nice edge until he's here. I can't really celebrate. And when he came, oh my gosh, I cried like a I sobbed like a baby because it's such it's pent up for the last nine months. You've just been pen you've just been holding back because you just don't want to allow yourself too happy just yeah. in case. Yeah. But then I, when he's here, it's it's amazing. Yeah, I I I can definitely, you know, imagine that, like, just, you know, this baby's is coming, but, like, everything is just, like, oh, gosh, like, please, God. So, with all this situation, like, how was your relationship with God during this time? And especially at the time where, at first, you found out that, you know, Angela was not going to be, wasn't going to make it, and then going through your attempting suicide did you bring God along in any of these things or was it that you forgot about him? And then when was it that you really reintroduced him again to be like, God, I'm sorry. It was tough at the very beginning stages with Angela. Um, like I said, we, we thank God for, for the life he gives because mm-hmm. he alone can give and take away. And we've always been grateful and open to the will of God in all things. Um, and, and, we have this mantra in our house, um, seek first the kingdom of God and all things and more shall be given to you. Mm. Right. And we try and live by that on a day-to-day basis. But it was difficult at that time because you, the questions you start asking yourself and asking God is why? You always think of yourself of we're not that couple. Mm. We're not, we shouldn't be experiencing this. Why? 
we're not that couple. You never think it will happen to you until it happens to you, mm. right? Um, so we questioned, I certainly questioned God quite a lot. Um, and I think in that time, I went through the motions of just going to church, like whatever, you know, I, I don't get why you do this to me. Um, and when we had our daughter's funeral and burial, it was in a church um, that brought about a sense of peace, but also still a sense of questioning. And it was almost like being, I can only, I mean, I don't know for certain, but I can only liken it to being in a desert with Jesus for 40 days where you just don't understand why you've got to go through what you've got to go through. You just don't get it. But then you come out of it and you, it, it all makes sense why God allowed for this to happen yeah. and what the blessings that will come from it and the blessings that is it, right? Because like I said, every child is a blessing, whether yeah. it, whether it's just been conceived or whether it's a full term, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's, it's much older and dies in an old age, it's still a blessing mm -hmm. one way or another. And we very much to be able to see it that way. And, and I think we always said this, but never really experienced it once we you know, when you say it and when you experience it, it adds, adds a completely different dimension to it. So, you know, I think I became a lot more prayerful, um, you know, and I think even to another level after the experience I went through, which again, is a whole other podcast, not long ago, it's even brought the whole idea that I am where I'm supposed to be. Mm. Um, and God has a plan. Always. Whew, wow. It's, it's, it's hard to not get emotional at what you just said, like, you know, um, about God's plan and where you're supposed to be. Because some people will think that it's not, that's not what they're meant to be. Like, why is, why is this still happening? So what would be your... Um, I guess your closing word in terms of encouragement to men, especially because obviously we've taken this from a men's uh, from a man's perspective in terms of dealing with uh, grief, dealing with a miscarriage, um, not seeing their child or even seeing their child but stillbirth. What's your what would be encouragement to men and especially black men? That's that's where the real the real big struggle is in terms of men opening on black men opening up and you know really talking about through their emotions so what would be your encouragement to them and of course from a faith perspective as well my encouragement to men is find a man outside of your friendship circle that can hold your hand and guide you mm. be the best version of yourself you can be mm. Uh, and the reason why I say outside of your circle is there's a there's an air of familiarity when you stay within your circle and people are reluctant to change. So if you start changing, people will judge that change without mm -hmm. really understanding that it's you matriculating from boyhood maleness to manhood, right? So find someone outside of your circle that, you want to you want to emulate and that has all the right attributes in manhood because men need men and never be too shy to talk about how you truly feel 
right, and do so with an from an empathetic point of view, and listen, 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 listen. Is God has given us two ears to do more listening than we do talking. <laughs> and a teacher always used to say that to me in class. I don't know if you talk too much. Use less mouth, more ears. Mm. So listen. Um, and, and, and that's the thing that I would say to, to, to black men is take that damn chip off your shoulder, man. Like it does not serve you and it does not do you justice and you do not benefit from it. You do not benefit from it so uh, that's that that would be my advice to, to to black men is what will be the cost of you taking that chip off your shoulder and being completely open and being vulnerable um from a faith point of view is god's plan like drake says god's plan is the best and at times it's hard. Oh, hell, it's hard. Just think, <laughs> someone putting a nail through your hand, that is hard. Mm. What we're having to do, it's not hard at all. Mm. Is is And when you do it, and the outcome from it, it's complete abandonment to God's will. It can only be, you can only get a blessing from it. Yeah definitely and god in his infinite wisdom has has an understanding of what we are going to become only if we let him and when we don't let him guess what we it fails mm -hmm. nine times out of ten the things that have failed in my life are things that i've thought that i could do that on my own mm. all right the times when i've thought I could go out and get that job. God has thought, yeah, okay, go on then. You get the job, two months later, you leave the job. You know, but the jobs that I've never, I've never had to interview for a job since my first job because yeah. every time I've left a job, God has put another job on my lap. So it's, it, it, it's, it's abandoning himself. It's abandoning yourself to God's will, unreservedly so. And not just hearing it because someone is testifying a testimony on it, but actually believing it and living it. Yeah, definitely. Wow, amazing. That that's that's some serious, powerful words there, words of wisdom as well, which I think is fantastic. I just want to make mention of the charity that, that Donald mentioned that he's actually working with, which is SAN, which stands for Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Charity. So if you need to talk to them, if you want to find out what they're doing, how you can get the support that you need, um, it's just so easy to do. So you can go online on their website, which is sans.org.uk. That's sans.org.uk so that you can speak to them and, you know, yeah, get the help that you need for yourself, first of all, as a man. And of course, you know, as you and your partner as well, which I think would be great. And, and it would be great for... I guess both couples to be able to talk about this with someone with someone from them because they're both going through it you know men's experience is just as valid as women's as well because yeah, they've both lost a child so yeah and reach out as well anyone that doesn't feel quite ready to to talk to sans or just wants to talk to to myself 
Um, How can they do that? How can they get in contact with you? Because I think uh, that's probably the, the 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 best the best way to do so. Yeah. Right? So it's Donald Butcher. Butcher is spelled uh, M B E U T C H A. Um, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, you can email me at uh, d dot my surname M B E U T C H A thirty two at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, reach reach out. Um, I, I I love talking to people rather than rather than organisations. <laughs> help me. That's, that's a word me. right there. That's a word right there. He he, and he is just that. Donald, it's been absolutely fantastic um, talking to you. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, I know these conversations are never easy, but um, I'm so happy that you were able to really just be real and talk about your experience, the feelings and everything and how you got through it as well. So um, thank you so much uh, for joining me on this episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Lady T, and, and keep doing the amazing work you're doing because you inspire so many um and and the waves the drop that you the drop of of you leaving the ocean creates so many waves already um oh. that i hear your name here there and everywhere um so thank you very much keep, keep doing what you're doing and 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 yeah more than happy to come back i hope no one slept through this podcast if you did <laughs> there's 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 a quiz after this so <laughs> right yeah get ready get ready for the quiz and stuff like that. but um no thank you so much i really appreciate those words um absolutely very very kind of you so um yeah guys make sure that you um that you share this episode with so many of your friends and family especially for men black men that need to hear about dealing with grief thank you once again remember to subscribe to the platform subscribe to the youtube um it's lady t official and of course spotify apple and other ways that you listen to the podcast candid with lady t podcast on all the platforms so until next time um yeah god bless